I think the tide has definitely changed. You know, I've seen a lot of uh, improvement from uh, you know um, the northern hemisphere sides. Um, you know, that's cute. <laughs> yeah, mentioned that's it. cute. We're getting better. <laughs> and now coming back to it. I know. And my PMP just straight up said, uh, "I don't have anyone else." Man, I promise you could you could have heard a pin drop in that room, like. You know, it just hit home, like, this, this dude doesn't have anyone. I don't want to put words into your mouth, but did he offer uh, a video, a DVD, some footage about taking us back into the history of South Africa in England? Because I remember going into the final, I think I actually made it into Chasing the Suns documentary, where I'm sat there saying, England already have one hand on the trophy. It's <laughs> <laughs> off is on fire. Oh, yeah, look at that. What a perfect pitch. Oh, man, this is like my... You know, my blood, sweat, tears, hard work, all carved in gold. Welcome to the official Rugby World Cup podcast brought to you by Sahi Super Dry. I'm Gethin Jones, I'm your host, and I'm delighted to say we are joined by some of the superstars of the game of rugby. Uh, we have two previous World Cup winners in Australia's George Gregan and Springbok Tendai uh, Tawarira, also known as the Beast. Seven World Cups between you, 256 Between the camps. three of us. Yeah, and then there's Hugo Monday. <laughs> <laughs> I think the closest you came to World Cup was 2011, when you, I think you just blocked out the diary. Um, and then, unfortunately, the call... This is the closest I've been to a while. I can't believe it's here. It's, it's pretty cool. It's because it's been following the beast around for the last week. It's like you've been having a relationship with this thing. No, pretty crazy. And, uh, you know, I've spent uh, quite a bit of time with the World Cup. Um, it was, uh, you know, bestowed the honor of traveling with it from Dubai to Paris. So I can tell you, you know, we have spent some uh, beautiful times together. <laughs> yeah, it feels like 2019 all over. Uh, yeah, <laughs> How many beers do you think you can get in that? I mean, I, I, I know for sure you can, you know, you can fill it up with two wine bottles. <laughs> <laughs> about beers though <laughs> maybe George knows yeah, so if you actually won the World Cup you should have less questions These yeah I know that's what I'm here I'm just absorbing information hot topics um, can I just say welcome to Paris Bienvenue. 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 I did GCSE French. I got cat, dog. Um, hello, and that's about it. What's, how, are you, how are you doing with your French? What's saying? Always needs work. George, George, George is fluent. Duolingo. No, I'm you're, you're fluent. decent. You've been on the app today. <laughs> doing my numbers, making sure my 17 day streak is still, still there. I get better the more sides I drink. <laughs> <laughs> that's how it works. Uh, here we are in Paris, like memories of playing rugby in. in in, in Paris, uh, lads, I mean, your last gay international game was Marseille, wasn't it? Yeah, it was Marseille, Marseille yeah. in what was the old Velodrome, I believe they've updated yeah. that. And um, that was a not such a great day at the office for us mm-hmm. against New, um, against England uh, on a day which is hot like this. So it was perfect conditions. But um, played Paris. I think we were one of the first rugby matches there after the French team won the 1998 Football World Cup there with Zinedine oh, yeah. Zidane. Yeah. We played there in November and um, it's an amazing stadium. So it was state of the art then. It still looks pretty good when we drove, or well, we didn't drive past it, we went past on yeah. our, our uh, limo box. Uh, our, very our exciting, box. Yeah, it was we're really We're amazed quick. we're here, to yeah, be honest. We're still here. <laughs> yeah. Got both hands, yeah. both legs, very happy. <laughs> sort of in a different light. Uh, Hugo's got a, a brilliant stat about playing rugby in Paris, haven't you? you well, speak yourself up, pal. Well, I mean, it's, it's not picking myself up. I'm, I'm yes, in the, I'm in the, I'm in the company of greatness, but Gethin was asking, have I played it? Paris and I said, yeah, I've played a few games in Paris. I've never lost in Paris, but, you know, that's not at a World Cup stage. But I do want to pick up on what you mentioned there, uh, the French football team winning the World Cup in 98. 
and we've got the Arc de Triomphe just behind yeah. us. And I remember they blew it up and put Zidane's image onto it, and they had a million people on the Champs Elysees. Wow. Yeah. And I just thought wow. that is so cool. So now we're not that far away from the World Cup. Whoever wins that World Cup, I just hope that plays a significant role into it. Yeah, it's, it's very, very special, um, iconic. I mean, the World Cup, I mean, it's been dominated by Southern Hemisphere, isn't it, Tanda, for a long time, as, as you and George uh, well know. Are the, are the tides turning slightly at the moment? Do you think that the Northern Hemisphere teams seems a bit more competitive than it's ever been? I think so. Yeah, I think the tide has definitely changed. You know, I've seen a lot of uh, improvement from, uh, you know, um, the Northern Hemisphere sides. Um, you know, That's um, cute. <laughs> That's cute. We're getting better. <laughs> and now we have a trip. You know, specifically Ireland, uh, France. I don't know about England. Though. <laughs> yeah. hey, can you give him another beer. Let's get the truth out of him. <laughs> so he's, he's, out, he's retired now. He's actually speaking a little bit more openly. <laughs> he's not staying on that tight script. Yeah, but exactly. I'm, uh, you know, I'm veering off a little bit, you know, and saying, speaking my mind which is good yeah yeah but i think the northern hemisphere is much better and uh, you know I, you know i certainly hope south africa yeah, you know they're going to win the fourth one but if not uh, and I, i'm back in the fringe to possibly mm. win on home soil you Ooh. know uh, only new zealand new zealand have defended it haven't they so it's a it's a tough ask to do it four years four years on but going back last time the world cup was here 2007 um i think ireland were the highest placed northern hemisphere team you know fifth it's completely different now ireland are number one. Well, number one and number two, the hosts are number two, they're number one. And the Six Nations game, I was lucky enough to call that earlier this year. And the first 40 minutes of that match mm. was probably the best rugby I've seen in over a decade. It was like stunning. Um, so they're, they're well and truly, I think, the, the pace setters at the moment. And yeah, I think uh, Ireland's are going to be going into this World Cup with form. They've done this before, 2019. and. It didn't go to plan, but uh, I, I think from what I've seen, carrying on from what Tendai was saying, I, I honestly think they're going to be really, really tough to beat. And if they get over that hurdle, which, and it is a mental hurdle, a quarterfinal, yeah. they haven't got past that, they get over that. Can we, can we talk about the mental hurdle? Because I've heard this before, you know, Ireland are the form team. We knew what happened to Len Leinster in, yeah. in Europe. And yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but Ireland have never done it. Can they do it? Yeah, they can. I think yeah. they're better equipped now than they ever have been let's not forget in 2018 they were the number one team in the world Joe Schmidt was voted as um, the coach of the year Johnny Sexton player of the year and then a year on they went to Japan and we got to quarterfinal and couldn't get over that hurdle I think Andy Farrell coming in and breathing new light having learned the lessons and you've got to remember that in sport through all your losses um you can turn them into lessons if you don't ever repeat that again. So they won't want to be in that place. But on the kind of balance of power, I mean, it's been 20 years since we've had a Northern Hemisphere team win the thing, mm. right? Who won it then? They, they didn't mention it. Oh, <laughs> three. The guys are still mm. rinsing corporate scene for me. Even Neil Back. Just weirding them out. Do you know what I mean? So, but, you know, as George has said there, number one, number two, being up in Northern Hemisphere, it's amazing. But I do also think we live in this close society because the six nations of the rugby championship are displaced. We see brilliant rugby like Ireland against France and we get mega excited. You look at the world rankings. But once the rugby championship starts, then I feel as if we'll have a broader picture of where the balance of power is because South Africa will take on New Zealand or Australia will slap someone in the face and you're like, 
Oh yeah, I remember they're actually um, they're the world champions. Australia really good. New Zealand, let's not forget about them. So I don't know. I always wonder what the Southern Hemisphere views the Northern Hemisphere. Oh, go on. No, we we respect you. <laughs> we respect the Northern Hemisphere. Give him another. Yeah. <laughs> you can't say it and laugh in my face. He's got no, a strap no, in front of him. He's just got one line on it. He first started by saying they're getting better, and then we respect you. Ha, ha, ha. No, no, we do. You know, some of my toughest uh, test matches have been in the Northern Hemisphere, you know, specifically <laughs> yeah, sure. against Ireland, <laughs> you know, against the French uh, and Ireland. So I, I really think that. You know, just to back on, you know, what you're saying, Hugo, I, I believe that you now Ireland have learned from their lessons. Uh, you know, everybody, you know, has been speaking about them, you know, always choking at the World Cup, World Cup you know. So I'm sure it's going to play a key role in motivating them, you know, to go on and really perform. And I think Andy Farrell has been a special coach, you know, has brought in something new and different. So the way they're playing right now, I don't see them, you know, uh, not, you know, getting knocked out, you know, uh, can't play off time. I think they'll go all the way. Which yeah. team in the Northern yeah. Hemisphere wouldn't you want to play against right now? France, definitely. <laughs> Outside of one and two, which is obvious because of the rankings, we haven't mentioned them around the table yet. Um, Wales. No, not Wales. Yeah. Wales, like as great as Warren Gatlin, he's got some work to do. But I think, I think, I think Scotland. Uh, I don't think anyone wants to play Scotland on any day. Ooh, I think yeah. they're a team which can put thirty plus points against whoever they play if True. they get it right. They and they're under the radar in that pool of death, and no one's talking about them. Everyone and they might just turn up and do what was done to them in Japan, and that will that there'll be some, a lot of players who are part of that who who want to have another crack at getting into the deeper part of the tournament and they have the skills and they have they have the ability to do it I, I know they've had but it's one of the games the Wallabies in the last probably good decade have really struggled with because they turn up and they make things uncomfortable they play a little bit differently um, and I, I think they're a team which is like if we use this expression of banana skin like it's a really slippery game it's to me, an, that's it's one. It's not an Aussie saying, George. We yeah. all say banana skin. Yeah, like, it's not, you can't just claim that. It's your... We see more bananas than over yeah. here. <laughs> <laughs> but, but if Scotland don't make it out of their group, I think they'll have such a big bearing. Let's just let's just say Ireland and Africa make it out of their group, get to quarterfinals. I think they're in a powerful position because there is one side of the draw which is just un, undeniably slightly harder than the other. Yeah. So whoever finishes first and second, Scotland are going to have a huge bearing on that because they could beat South Africa, they could beat Ireland. Yeah. And that could mean that their course and their route to a potential final could be made infinitely more difficult by what Scotland do. Because you're right, they have the capacity. They've got Finn Russell at fly half, who I believe is... I think he's the most talented, naturally talented fly half on the planet. Yeah. I really do. He you sees things. That, yeah. With uh, fast ball, he just... Imagine like, on a day like Fast ball, um, yeah, probably one of the best decision makers oh, like in, with that number on his back because he's he's really comfortable and the players around him, I think, and he's picked his moments too. It's not always about the big play. When he mm. injects himself, he really um, he makes it, makes it difficult. If you're coaching against Scotland, they're just dangerous. Finn Russell on a hard day, that's a lot of sun cream. Well, Finn, Finn, Finn like lives today. here. Yeah, of course he does. He's more accustomed to this weather, this style of play. Yes. He understands it. That's and there's true, yeah. there's a big part of it as well, which we've not touched upon, is just the cultural environment, the expectation. Like he's immersed himself in French rugby for the last few years. This is he's playing his last few he's already played his last few matches for, for Paris. He's moving over to England. But you mentioned France, like straight off the bat, yeah. Northern Hemisphere yeah. team. What is it about their team that would make you feel uncomfortable if you had to play against them? 
the full pack. Yeah. They're I massive, aren't they? They're massive. I think, you yeah. know, they just, uh, you know, can dismantle any other full pack on any given day. So I think, you know, the matchup we had um, in uh, Marseille last year, mm-hmm. I think, that, you know, that was a proper battle. But I think, you know, they were missing Paul Willem, sir. They were missing a couple of key guys. So I think, you know, with a full strength team, um, you, know, I, you know, they can really give a team like South Africa, you know, a, a tough time. So they're the only team I'd say they can match us up front, you know, come scrum time and, you know, driving moles. And line out time, so that's why I picked. And, the, and there's Jue Jue too. Yeah, plus they can beat you with footwork around the. The, the big men have good feet yeah. before yeah. contact. They just yeah. don't. They just don't go route one the whole time. Yeah. They've got footwork and they can get their hands free and pop and play out the back. Decent They're a dangerous off. team. Decent yeah, well, so we, right. we haven't even spoken about Dupont yeah. yet. Yeah. We're not far into. We've got so much to cover. You, could, you just talked about culture there, and you're talking yeah. about Ireland getting there. How do they get over that quarterfinal? Uh, stage if they haven't done it before this comes down to leadership and coaching there's some really interesting characters that you guys know really well uh, from the South African and Australian side Eddie Jones I mean you I mean you've been following him loads obviously through England he, he knows how to get a team uh, deep into World Cup doesn't he yeah he's really good at like he he's his record speaks for itself in terms of that beat in Australia uh, when he was assistant coach with uh, the Springboks with Jake White and the team, Victor and John Smith and that gang, which won here, 2007. Yeah. They speak so highly of him and Farid Dupria, like an amazing team. Not that there's ever a bad Springbok team. It's like there's never a really bad all-black team. There's just levels of great that go up when, when, they, when they respond to these types of events. And obviously what he did with Japan, where they actually knocked off – I was I – was, there that day at Brighton. Brighton, yeah. That was a great day. He prepared that. He was preparing for that day like hundreds of days out. And yeah. so he's, he's kind of got that level about him, Eddie. And so these tournaments set up really, really well. Like we haven't mentioned another one who's good at tournament play. Michael Checker, who's looking after Argentina. Yeah. He yeah. gets them ready for this sort of rugby and this type of football really well. So I, I think there's, there's that piece where... You, you get to a point, and we've we've spoken about it. The tournament you've got to get through your pool stage. So wherever you fit on what side of the equation, but then if you get to the top eight, doesn't matter where you are. Like you've got to turn up on the day and and get it done. Find a way to get it done. And what you've done previously, be it earlier in the tournament, what you've done previously in the last year or two, it, it could help to a degree. But it, it's got to help you on that day. What are you doing that day? And I think that's the piece which um, it's there. <laughs> it's there for you to take or it's there for you to sort of pack your bags and go home. Yeah. That's, the re- that's the reality of a quarterfinal. And then, then you've got a bit of breathing space. You've got another two weeks. You, you want to play third or fourth. You want to play in the final. But that's the nature of um, that quarterfinal. So you've got to be ready for it. He knows how to do yeah. that, yeah. Mm-hmm. He, he's interesting as well, isn't he? Because, I mean, I don't, as a rugby fan, I, I, I love watching him in the media. You, cause I'm sure you have as well over the yeah. last year. And also... On the same level, Razi Erasmus. I mean, we watched Chasing the Sun, the documentary. Uh, fascinating insight into to his mind. I, I watched, and I'm still not sure what he's about. What what is he about? You know, Rossi is a disruptor. You know, um, he's the kind of guy who comes in the environment and he kind of shakes the tree. And you know, and that's what he did with the Springboks. You know, when things were going pear shape in 2016 and 2017. You know. Um, you had that outside in kind of look because he was based in Ireland at the time. Um, and then he saw all these things that were were not going well, you know, uh, beyond the, you know, the field of play, you know, our structures and uh, the alignment of South African franchises, you know, to help the Springboks be successful. So he's, uh, you know, he's very intelligent in his approach. He's, uh, you know, he's very good at 
uh, analyzing other teams opposition so you know before we faced any opposition in the world cup we knew exactly what they were going to bring so he's very good at thinking ahead um so you know and, and with that chasing the sun i'll tell you you know that idea was birthed by him and it was all about showing the authenticity and uniqueness of um the springbok team and you know uh, the stories telling the stories within the team and you know he said that we were not going to you know go out there and and act and pretend that we're people that we're not so that's why it's so raw you know it's exactly how it was you know in in the build up to when I woke up so i i i highly respect the guy you know he's achieved so much and yes i know he's got his rants in the media <laughs> you know sometimes he does things that you wouldn't expect of him what, what, when he's, he's doing that you with players going <laughs> oh not again rassy <laughs> I think some of the boys might have reacted that way because it mainly happened after I retired. But I guess you know he just likes to you know go against the grain a little bit just to sh- shake the tree, as I say, you know, make people feel uncomfortable. But you know he just you know he, he thinks in a um, in, in a different way, you know, in his approach. But the public <laughs> perception of him versus him in the yeah, change room, yeah. how how connected are they or how what is the disparity in the personalities that we see enjoy try and dissect and scratch our minds of <laughs> versus the one you know so personally well there's definitely um, a connection in what you see in the public and how he is you know with the team you know he's always been um, uh, the kind of guy who just doesn't accept things as they are if you see something that is that that is wrong and he doesn't agree with it he's going to speak out you know yeah so so, so <laughs> even in the team environment for instance before he came i don't think the springbok team had addressed some of the stuff that you know we used to struggle with with our culture you know because it, it didn't really embrace or show the diversity of the landscape of south africa so he was very good at you know like you know kind of speaking about the elephant in the room you know and uh, he does that in the media so he addresses stuff with the referees so i think you know it might obviously uh, make a few people uncomfortable but in the end i think the end goal is kind of um, you know achieved and you got his instagram story, <laughs> that's for yeah. sure yeah. after that yeah <laughs> can you can you share a ranzi story with us like maybe one of your favorites that you're allowed to now you've had a couple of signs <laughs> is there one you can share cuz we're we're fascinated by the guy aren't we mm. Oh, <laughs> I, I have to think. Oh, you know, what yeah. am I allowed to share? You know, what is? Um, have a go. We can edit it trouble, out. Listen, we'll know? speak to the lawyers have after. We think? can edit it out. Go for it, <laughs> and then we can have a look <laughs> after. Give him the time, yeah, because you just you're just throwing that. No, ball we're absolutely hammering. This is like question time. Because <laughs> I've gone where we played. Because I've played against him a lot. Everything he just said that he's doing as a coach, he was as a player. So he'd analyze and he'd be calling stuff. We'd be calling a player. I remember with the Brumbies, we had a call called Qantas, and he knew what Qantas was. It's me cutting out straight across the ten to twelve, and he's calling all that kind of stuff. And he said this, 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 and he's basically decoding what we're playing. I said, okay, you may have decoded it to the second or third phase, Rassi. What are we doing after that? Especially if you miss it. We'd have that going back and forth, and it was that way. And then he'd be talking about being wide sometimes to sort of get a cross kick. Then he'd work with Verna Swanepoel. They'd have a little bit of one-two play around the edge of the ruck because we were loose there. Then he'd be looking to sort of jump underneath the post if there was a long-range kick so he could catch it. Like He, he was always thinking, always disrupting, and never prepared to take the status quo as a player. Yeah. So, you know, there's a, yeah. there's, a, there's a reason why he's been successful. Coaching and everything yeah. that he is as a coach, he was as a player. Yeah. And he was great yeah. to play against. He would have been a wonderful player to play with for that very reason. Really skilled and, and just thought differently. Yeah. It's what, mad because as, a, as an Englishman, someone that's 
I've met him quite a number of times, but only really gets to understand his personality via his social media mm. accounts and the things that he projects and puts out in the media. At times I find myself really frustrated because I think you're this World Cup winning coach, incredible. Some things you say let you down, but then equally the antidote to all of that is I wish I was coached by him because he's the exact type of character that motivates players. Because if you've got your coach out there fronted it and just said, I'm not taking any of this, you know he's got your back. Mm. And, you know, we talk about philosophies and cultures and systems, all the rest of it, but at the epicenter of all of it is trust. And you trust that he has got you mm. one million percent. I'm yeah, sure that's worked, exactly how you felt. Yeah, totally that's worked. exactly that, you know. You, you know that he's going to take the heat, you know, um, and he's not going to allow anyone to, you know, target the players. And he will say that, I'll, I'll, I'll put my, you know, my backside out there, you know, I don't mind taking the shots, mm. you know, as long as you guys are in a better place. You, know? you so worked for it, because he worked you hard. I mean, some of the training footage and stuff, yeah. the one-on-one stuff. Yeah, and no, he did. I think, you know, we, we had Alid, um, our conditioning coach, uh, for those two years. Um, I promise you, even for me, like, because I was an old statesman, uh, you know, I had played, you know, beyond 100 test matches, but, you know, that guy kept, it, kept us fit and he didn't, you know, overwork us. And at that time, I obviously wanted to be managed really well, and I was, and I managed to pick at the right time in the World Cup. So it was it was very smart of him to get Alid as part of the coaching team. Game one of the World Cup in Japan 2019, you take on the All Blacks. Everyone around the world, eyes are focused on that game. It's huge, absolutely massive. And everyone knows the history of the World Cup. There's never been a team to win a World Cup that's lost a game in it. You lose, you lose your opening game. What were the conversations that you had around that? Because in order for you to achieve what you wanted to achieve, you had to do something that no other team had done previously. And just on top yeah. of that, it's history repeating itself with France, isn't it? Home nation against New Zealand as well. It's crazy because, um, you know, the change room was quiet and I remember I actually came off the bench uh, for that for that game and I played 20 minutes Stephen Kitts have started and you know we we made uh, little errors that costed us the game in the end and you know we went back in the change room everybody was quiet the players literally had doubt in their face I, you know, I had doubt, doubt in my face you know like are we really going to be able to come back from this because we focused for the last two years on this specific game you know we'll be running drills at practice saying oh New Zealand are going to be you know uh, doing this and we're going to react this way and to get there and you know and have that disappointment it kind of weighed heavy on us but there was one man in that change room that was positive and it was Rassi and he straight up said, I promise you, we made a couple of areas. I'll show you the footage. I'll show you the, you know, uh, and on the big screen. And you'll see that we actually didn't, we didn't play badly. We just made two areas or three areas that costed us in the end. And we can fix those and go on to, to win this, this World Cup. And, you know, it just kind of... Did you believe him? I believed them. I believed him and I think it obviously took a little bit of time you know obviously you think he's just trying to be positive <laughs> but when you sh- showed the yeah, yeah. the footage on the screen and you saw it you know I think there was one missed tackle by my pimpy on Sivu Reese and then he managed to break the line and ran like 40 minutes down the line and then passed it to Richie Mohonga and he scored so there were things that you know little areas that we did but the rest of the game our defense was solid and he was like you know we got to just patch that up you know we got to fix that and have the, that positive attitude and everything starts now I think it was Namibia the next game and then you know our mindset was like you know it's one game at a time and he was instrumental in getting us back 
you know. And then momentum the starts building. Yeah. Small margins, isn't it? Well, it is. Like, it's funny <laughs> you saying that. Like, we've all had those sort of days at the office, particularly against the All Blacks in New yeah. Zealand when, they're, when they're, they're in that mindset. Like, you make a small error and it can really exacerbate and look really bad. I mean, when you review it, so we weren't that far off yeah. and when you when you have that ability to then reflect and say okay let's learn let's move forward and let's, it's just another chance to keep going that's kind of what you did yeah. um, but if if he doesn't correct that and doesn't point that out to the team then yeah there is doubt and once doubt soups in it's it's yeah. it's no good there wasn't any doubt going into the world cup final we know what happened in that game yeah. great day can i take you back to the the day or the night before because i had a real interesting story because i think you you sometimes forget when greaves is playing for australia you're playing for south africa you're playing against 15 men or scored a 23 but you're actually facing against the country mm. and with every country that there's a history attached to it and you have to lean into those stories to get yourself a psychological edge and Razzy Rasmus apparently did this the night before because the history of England and South Africa is quite a colourful and fractured one um, I don't want to put words into your mouth but did he offer uh, a video a DVD some footage about Taking us back into the history of South Africa in England. <laughs> no, eyes, no, no, eyes no, no, right. no, no, no. Do you know what I'm leading you to? Uh, sort of. But, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, I, uh, I choose the. Can I bleed the foot? I've never seen the beast. That's why I didn't want to. Hey, if you want to reveal, then you can reveal. But in terms of getting the getting your players and your team psychologically sharp and understand so well right who, now, you go. I'm so proud of you. Keep going. Um, who who they're playing against and what they stand for and the history of it. Then I think he achieved that from what he showed to. You know what? It you know it wasn't. It's not like he was bad-mouthing England or speaking ill about their history. But, you know, he kind of just, you know, highlighted, you know, the difference in our stories. Um, I'll tell you, for instance, you know, I was born in Zimbabwe and, you know, I had to go on this really tough journey to get to the top and play for, you know, South Africa and represent a different country. And, um, you know, and it wasn't easy. So he kind of, like, made us tip into that, you know, and my pimpy. You know, he wow. lost his whole family. So he used those stories to and like... It, on the shirts, it, wasn't it? The yeah, on the shirts. shirts. Yeah, Can my pimpy shirts. Yeah, explain that. It's, yeah. it's very, very It was powerful. sad. It was really sad. Because we were... I, I'll tell you, um, straight up, the players were making jokes. Because my pimpy uh, or the, you know, and then the rest of the players were asked for pictures of your family members so they could put them on the back of your jersey. Um, and my on pimpy, the numbers, wasn't Yeah, it? on yeah. the numbers. And yeah. my pimpy just handed in his pictures. So I think it just this picture, and he said you can just obviously like you know make a, a couple of uh, copies of it and put it on the back of my jersey, and the boys are saying, ah, oh, you know, he probably loves himself, and even Rossi was thinking the same thing, you know, and he asked uh, in the team meeting, like my pimpy, I heard that you you only handed in your your your, your own picture, but no nobody else, and then my pimpy just straight up said, uh, I don't have anyone else, yeah. you know. <laughs> Man, I promise you could you could have heard a pin drop in that room. Like, you know, it just hit home. Like, this, this dude doesn't have anyone. He just says his grandma. And, like, it just, it was a, a man, like, it really had, like, a sad moment. But the guy is so positive. You know, he just carries himself so well. And he just wants to do well for the country. So so he tapped into those stories, mm -hmm. you know, those those little stories, see his journey. And that's what kind of 
brought us to that moment where we just, you know, were able to to be the best vision of ourselves in that field. I'm, I'm just going to say, what you develop there is is a bond that's so tight. That's talked about loads in the game of rugby, isn't it? And and here we are, you guys um, sipping an Asahi in the Parisian sun with the World Cup around the corner. Just just on that topic in terms of friendships and relationships, has there been um, anyone after a game that you've shared a beer with in the change room that surprised you maybe based on what you knew from them before facing them? Like, did you have a beer with Johnny Wilkinson? After the 2003. I don't know anyone had a beer with Johnny Wilkinson. I had a glass of wine in 2015 with him, him and Phil Kearns. It was really nice, actually. And um, he came over. He sort of dressed like um, like he was in, in disguise around Trafalgar Square. But it was really, really nice to do that because we actually hadn't had a drink with him in terms of Is that 2003. Right? Mind you, a few of the English boys. Like, not, not so much tins. Had a few tins yeah. over the years. But <laughs> he's so he's still in Trafalgar Square. Then but, um, finishing off. But with... with with that in mind, I think, and like he was at my 50th, I had a great celebration in Tassie with a group of great friends and family friends when I went back to Oz a few weeks ago. But probably under 19s, and we've got a strong friendship, it's still Justin Marshall. Like, we were really oh, surprised. Like, we're obviously 19, we all think we're bulletproof and Aussies versus Kiwis. And But then after the game, we had beers, we played some game, drinking games, obviously. And we just hit it off. So we were super, super competitive, but very, very much alike. And yeah, we've sort of been just great mates um, right through our, through our lives so I think that's and I think that's not uncommon in rugby I think I was lucky enough and then I'm going to pass the ball on to you guys but did a, a north-south game after the Banda Arche tsunami so I was with Victor John Smith Big Skulky Burger and all the guys Big we enemies. played enemies like we'd just been playing against each other like it was always going to rip the bits out of you we wanted to kill you George and vice versa we're saying, oh. then all of a sudden we're playing together had the best week like a barbar's week, the best yeah. week together, and our friendship is like to this day is like just stronger and stronger. So Love that. I think that that's what's beautiful about rugby, and um, long may it continue. I think the people you perhaps dislike the most on the pitch are probably your toughest competitors. One because if you're really good at what you do, it probably gives you a bit more of a voice, which allows you to be able to just give a bit more banter or abuse on the pitch. But they're they're perhaps the people that you actually respect the most. Like I played against Ronan Agar on a number of occasions. On oh my word, he would commentate right throughout the game. And he was really good. So I felt mentally I had to be absolutely switched on in every single moment because he could put the ball in behind me. He can put the ball through the hands across me. He can make me look silly. And he'd also commentate and let you know if you've made a mistake or the rest of it. And then toured with the Lions actually in 09. And he's a player was that 14 years ago I still stay in touch with like today he's just an extremely good human being but to think that I would ever feel like that playing against him is probably not a thought I'd ever have yeah oh, it, these are these are brilliant I love the fact that Eddie Jones now likes Alan Wynne Jones after spending a week with him at the bar bars when he spent 10 years moaning about him and how he is with the ref he's not the only one <laughs> eh? uh, the beast go on Oh, okay, oh, for me, um, it would be uh, Owen Franks on the All Blacks. You know, he he was probably the guy that gave me a Tory time on the park, you know, and exactly like Ugo, you know, he was a guy that, you know, I probably scrummed against when, whether I put on a Sharks jersey or a Springbok jersey. And we consistently, like, you know, we're going for each other. And, you know, after the game, it would be like, you know, um, almost like we don't want uh, to shake hands or, you know, there's all this tension, there's animosity. But eventually, you know, I decided to, like, you know, take the leap of faith 
and uh, you know I think it was after like a big loss in um, summer in New Zealand and the guy turned out to be one of the nicest guys and he was telling me about his family and um, yeah in a special memory um, uh, back in uh, 20, 2012 when I played my 100th game uh, for the Sharks um, when we won in um, uh, Christchurch he uh, presented to me a Crusaders jersey with my name on it wow. and with a number of caps I'd play, wow. and I'd, yeah, with 100 caps and then just saying you know congratulations gave this wonderful speech about me I couldn't believe it man so just shows that rugby you know uh, you know, breaks down these borders or you know respect uh, yeah there's respect and uh, camaraderie which is really special uh, where's, where's the shirt now where have you put the shirt I've got it it's, it's actually in my uh, my special memorabilia room so I've got it you know how's your memorabilia room <laughs> coming along you, you I've good? got a nice memorabilia <laughs> room do you know what but in my memorabilia everyone room, else's stash that you yeah, bought in I've just, just bought a dinners and stuff <laughs> but I've got jerseys which mean a lot but I've also got painful jerseys yeah. because the, the life of any elite sports person isn't always plain sailing. Like we kind of consume just highlights of people's careers. So you just get known for the, the, the special things that you that you do, but that's not life. And so I've got a couple of jerseys up there where I had some painful experience individually as a team, just 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 to remind you of that. Um, but on that story of Owen Frank, sorry, um, the first time I met um, your captain, Sir Kalise, was actually after the World Cup final a few weeks later he um, he travelled to Liverpool he's a massive Liverpool fan right yeah. and we texted a little bit I, was, I knew he was at the game so I met him and then we ended up coming back to the hotel for a beer and just chatting to him and went up to him and he was slightly um, slightly nervous he was like uh, are, are we good I was like yeah, yeah we're cool so he flew in came into Heathrow and he thought that the English public would hate him because they'd just be England dismantled them to win a World Cup and I was like bro everyone's got to understand your story and you're really loved here mm. but that sense of humility where you've sacrificed your life to achieve this one thing and you still have that humility to go I know we've inflicted pain here and that's even part of your consciousness I found was actually remarkable but spending a couple of hours with him I had a few beers because I remember going into the final I think I actually made it into Chasing the Sun's documentary where I'm sat there saying England already have one hand on the trophy <laughs> <laughs> I was just so confident after All Blacks game. Do you want to go again now? Can we put it on record? Yeah, no, 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 absolutely not. <laughs> no. But then sitting with him having a couple of beers, and then when you start hearing some of those personal stories about the Mapimpies yeah. and mm. the psychology and the emotion that goes into it, I honestly came away from that evening thinking we actually never had a chance of winning it. We had never had a chance because. Sport is sport, and by the way, being desperate to win is an advantage because the opposition are equally as desperate. One hand on the trophy. This is the first pod of the Rugby World Cup. Um, so we got some questions in from World Rugby, knowing that we had three legends uh, on today's <laughs> Two, episode. Man. I've just won a competition I'm to just, I'm just here for the beer. Oh, yeah, we're good. The Beast. Can you remember the birth of the bomb squad? Yeah, it was at the World Cup. And I, I think um, at the time, Rossi was having a difficult time uh, on, you know, picking his starters. Because as you know, you know, you know, we had guys on the bench that were equally as good as the guys that were starting. So for instance, the front row, you know. So in the end, you know, I think the, the term just came up in a meeting. It's like, oh, you know, when you come on the field, you know, you got to, 
you know, blast off and it's a bomb, you know, you gotta, you know, make an impact. And then all of a sudden, you know, everybody just started the, the, calling the, the impact players the bomb squad. And it just, and then obviously the media caught onto it and then the rest of the world and it became such a big part of what, you know, um, we're doing on the fields. So it kind of resembled our dip in a way. And yeah. in that bomb squad, when we look at the subs that you got in the front row, the individuals all have slightly different nicknames, which all contribute to that bomb squad. Can you share that with us? <laughs> they had Gladys names, didn't they? Gladys. indeed, man. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think we still want to use some of these secret code names, you know, come this World up. So I might just get in trouble for... Oh, they were but, code names. Yeah, no, but it, the thing is, you know, Kitsov is, you know, the reason why they'll call him uh, the fire is because obviously he's got the red hair. <laughs> so when he comes on, he's on fire. Yeah, yeah. Stephen yeah. Kitsov. So, you know, sense, pretty yeah. much it was, that's how, like, you know, like the fire came came about. And then there was, like, the songs would sing, you know, after a game. How did they go? <laughs> <laughs> Kids off is on fire. Oh, yeah, look at that. that perfect great. pitch. That was surprising. <laughs> that is Japanese karaoke. You, you, don't, you did some karaoke no, like no, no. too. I know you did. You're in Shinjuku. I heard that. Look, like, oh, no, I heard about that. Yeah, sure, no. We hear yeah. that down the shorts of Lisa. No, I'm not a good singer. Did man. anyone have a bad name which they didn't like? You know, that of, I'm showing my age here, but it's the whole. Um, Quentin Tarantino where it's like Mr. Pink. I don't like being Mr. Pink. Yeah. You know, like Steve Bashim, you didn't want to be Mr. Pink. I don't want to be Mr. Pink. Like, were they happy with their name or there was a little bit of, and obviously if they didn't like their name, it's going to stick, but yeah. is there any of that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Are you talking about this, obviously the, the team that I was part of? Yeah, like the 2019, yeah, 2019. Not necessarily, but before that, um, you know, I can recall a time when I played with Ruan, Ruan Pina and, you know, he was nicknamed, nicknamed Mr. Bean. Because <laughs> he kind of looked like Mr. B, and he used to go mad if you oh, called him that. So, Red back to a bull. Don't call him Mr. B, otherwise, he might just punch you. Now. He turns <laughs> into the Hulk. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then there's others that I won't mention because I know I'll get in trouble. Come on, just you, one. You've got, oh, you got man, fired. I'm going to get in trouble. Okay. Oh, forgive you just threw me, a back under the bus, throw a forward under the bus. Who are you forgiving? Please don't, 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 don't oh, kill yeah, don't me mess, when you see me. Don't mess with him. <laughs> he will. <laughs> Go on, what's his nickname? No, no, it's not his nickname. Oh. Oh man, this is gonna get me in trouble. No, come on, have a beer. <laughs> I know, I know you'll be upset. I know you'll be upset with me. Uh, uh. Nah, nah, let me, let me pause. <laughs> No, that was nearly okay. just just gone past the point of no return. Yeah. Just yeah. about. <laughs> I think you've got to go with it now. Oh, man. Come on, man. it's just us and the trophy. Just us and William Webber. And, and, and just a little trophy. trophy. It's not a trophy. I'm sorry, the cup. Uh uh, guys, don't make me do it. Okay, we can't. Yeah, be... Did you have any nicknames? Some of the Welsh boys have some brilliant yeah, nicknames. Yeah, like, actually, had a few. Like, I was pretty basic ones, Greg. Australian, Australians can be a little bit sort of not too imaginative, throw an S on it or turn yeah. it into John O or something like that. <laughs> and, then, and then it was GG or oh, Gov. Governor white, General, yeah. so Gov. Governor General! Governor General. Early doors in, in, in Canberra. That was my Canberra nickname. Governor so. General, I've got a question oh for you. It's another question for you. Just Gov sometimes. Gov. Gov. Can I call you Gov? <laughs> yeah, well, we got to that I, stage. I, I feel we, we can, after today, we came, we survived on a bike, we got our limbs. <laughs> Happy for you to call me Gov. Cheers, Gov. Hey, Gov, uh, did Australia make the right call getting rid of René, as we call him in this part of France. Yeah, I really feel for Dave Rennie because he's such a 
great coach and he, he's won wherever he's gone. But he, professional sport's so tough. Like at that stage, oh, I had that last week where the Wallabies were down to their last 25 players on that tour. I had a couple of days or a day with them um, in Cardiff and they came from behind to beat Wales on that end of season tour game, mm. which was amazing. And they, they pushed pushed France. They lost by a point or two. They pushed um, mm. Ireland um, at Aviva and lost by a couple of points. It came down to a kick. So I think that, and then they lost poorly, a poor result against um, Italy. So they lost three of those five games. That was probably the death knell for Dave because yeah. of performance. That's it. And it was no different to Eddie. I, I go back to 2005, way back. And that's when we were, we, were, we had a, a similar tour, but we'd had some poor results prior. And once they start talking about your winning um, record, and then what happened with Eddie, no one would have thought like within 12 months that he's gone from being the head coach talking about preparing for 2023 and then he's, he's not the English coach. There was just this sliding doors moment. So I see why Australian rugby moved, but I really did feel for Dave Rennie because he did an outstanding job. He's created a really good young group and, and depth for Eddie mm-hmm. to hopefully develop and take to that next level of getting consistent and then starting to prepare and, and, and think like, like world champions or, or think like what does world class look like. Um, but no, it's it's tough being being a head coach in international rugby. It's a tough gig, and you need mm. people to back you, and you need to have people to back you through. As you well, said, they've, they've done that winning. with Eddie. Now he's signed what? There's there's two World Cups in there, and a, a Lions. He's signed till 2027 or yeah. something. Isn't he? So they're, yeah. they're obviously seeing the need to develop Australia. He was signed till the end of this World Cup too with England as well. That's a good so, point. Yeah, things change like, in sport. Things change. Mm. Unbelievable tournament coach though. Uh, Ukes, um who is your England bolter for the World Cup? And who will play 10? That last bit may have been added by me. I'll start with your last question first. It'll be Owen Farrell. Owen Farrell will be England captain. He will be their 10. England obviously had a difficult year, but his performances has been brilliant. Won the premiership for the first time as a captain. Won his sixth premiership title with Saracens. I think his performances and his outlook on the game, he almost feels freer. And the brand of rugby he's playing domestically just seems to be a little bit more open, which is something that England are going to need to do. So that's a fairly simple question for me to answer. Yeah, no doubt in your mind. Don't no. They'll take Ford and Smith, will they? Um, well, it comes down to how many fly halves you want to take. Right. But dig- he's got to play 10 rather than he, the 10, 12. Well, business. I could see, I mean, if Steve Borford was to select George Ford as well, I could see them also going reverting back to that 10, 12. We know it works. It, it's tough because... In the World Cup, you're selecting 31 players. You've got to cut your cloth accordingly. I think he will take three. If he takes three, then it's fairly obvious as to who he selects. But the difference for us in the Northern Hemisphere versus playing a World Cup in Japan is if you need to bring someone into camp, it's a two-and-a-half-hour train. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, you don't have to acclimatise for a week and people can get ready quite quite early. Yeah. My bolter, Not like the Lions when they sent four Welshmen out. Do you remember that? That was fun, wasn't it? Yeah, Shane Williams it, was on the pop, wasn't he, right. he, for a week. And the next thing, he's got a cap in 2013 <laughs> playing against the Brumbies. Do you know what I mean? Around the corner. Do you know what I mean? You're around. Exactly. Yeah. I reckon the only reason he went on that tour was on the piss for the week is just because he was just hoping. Like, who takes their boots on touring on a flipping corporate trip, eh? Um, the bolter, I think... Um, I'll give you okay uh, well young player of the season in England was Tom Pearson he's a flanker number seven London Irish boy London Irish boy I think he'll have a good shout but we're pretty well stocked at seven but the competition which he brings and he's quite unique in his ability Tom Curry is the incumbent 
but he offers something slightly different, I think, from the rest. So, yeah, there's my shout. Quick question, just from what you just mentioned with Owen, I totally agree with you, but who's, who balances out your... Like, I think the modern game, even more so, uh, which has been in, in evidence over the last probably six to 12 months, mm-hmm. who's, who's, who's the power, power midfielder that you have to complement that? The ball playing, be it George or be it Owen Farrell, who, who would you have? Um, to complement that it's a, aspect it's such a good conversation it's been a conversation which I think we're getting a bit more clarity over Manu Tuolangi when he's been fit had to have been selected until this year we've gone for Ollie Lawrence and um, he was voted play, Premiership play Player of the Season, of the season. Um, he's been incredible he played four out of the five matches in the Six Nations only didn't play one through injury and he's played really well I think that's his jersey at the minute and the gauntlet has been passed on to, to Manu to show what he can do. Um, so I think it's Ollie Lawrence. Uh, mm. I, I, I really do. But in terms of England's attack, I, we have the talent. We have talent. We've got try scores. We've got ball players. We've got crash, bang and wallop if that's what we need. The thing that needs to shift for me is just the mentality. If we can look to attack, you see South Africa in 2019 and you look at their foundations of the game, it's set piece, it's a great defence and it's a brilliant kick tactical game. But in the last year, South Africa on average has scored three tries a game. To win this World Cup here in Paris, you're going to have to score at least three tries. The rugby worlds, and you look at the teams that are winning, Saracens were the second second most amount of tries and second most amount of points in the domestic league. You look at La Rochelle taking on Leinster yeah. in terms of their numbers, what they do in attack. It feels like the movement is, which is really exciting for the fans. Yeah. Because yeah. I think this World Cup will see more tries Scoring than we've tries. ever seen. I love that. Mm-hmm. And if we can see more of that going forward, and don't don't be sort of bluffed into the old three-card trick with the spring box or the, the, the bockies whereby set piece, strong, they win up front. I mean, they can they can move the ball. They can score three-plus tries. They've got some serious wheels on the edge, good midfield, really good decision-makers around 9-10. So if they want to flip the switch and say we're playing today yeah. and we can play across the field, Yes, we can, but we can also play through as well. Mm. So I like that. And I, I like, I think that's what rugby fans want to see. Do you reckon you could still play? No. Like, <laughs> I, I, I look, I look at, I seriously look at people great. running. Yeah, you, but you, but you all, I'm not being funny. You all do like decent yeah. sheep on your lads. Yeah, yeah, still yeah. Still got it. You, you know, you say you're 50, you're lying. We'll check that out. <laughs> no, that's 100%. You can still do a job, can you? No, no, not you at all. You still have the chat on you when you're no, sledging. No, I'd be, do... be like five metres behind every play. I mean, yeah. I'd be like, um, I loved him as a referee. This is re- really respectful. Chris White, he was a wonderful referee, but we used to joke. It was like, we've got to tell the referee he? story. And he, he, was, he wasn't like, like winning the beep test or whatever they call it now. <laughs> no, he so wasn't. he was probably going to miss the first three or four infringements <laughs> at the breakdown. They turn up and like, Tim does have a crack at it. You've had a crack at it. I've had a crack at it. Then the next person, he's blowing that up. So we just said before the game, Chris, just be consistent. The first three infringements are play on. Then for the fourth one, that's what you fish But then he had good bands. You probably can't have a conversation like that with a referee. If I threw a poor pass or whatever and you're trying to tell him or give him some information about like maybe look towards the gold in terms of favouring us he just tell me to focus on my pass and hit my <laughs> like, all that kind of stuff he says don't worry I'll get there on time just you worry about your job it's very very funny what does it take to win a World Cup because everyone's it's, it's individual what was yeah. it for you and what was it for you you need luck there's no doubt about it um, and we had luck in 99 like he kicked two field goals in his whole career Stephen Larkin we played with each other 79 times as a 9-10 he kicked two field goals 
One of those was in 1999, in extra time in a semi-final against the Springboks mm-hmm. at Twickenham. When he's looking, he wasn't even thinking, he just sort of played how he played and just knocked this thing over from 45 metres and was like, where did that come from? And so that was kind of, it was a big moment, big stage, big players leave, but it was luck. He just, two in his whole career, never did it. Wow. Um, but we also had incredible self-belief. Like, um, I think what different, I know you talk about the storytelling within the team. I still remember the, the 99 World Cup team. Like, we're still great mates and we do things together, which is always good. We're obviously a lot older in the tooth. But when we catch up, it's just like we just got on the bus at Cardiff. We didn't really get on the bus. We sort of walked around Cardiff post-game, which is great. But that group, um, there's no way anyone's going to beat us that day. It's just not, not that's not an arrogant comment. It's just we'd, we'd gone through some tough times together. You don't always win. And that, that actually forges a lot of strength and resolve within the team. But there was no one who got onto that field who was part of that squad that you wouldn't want to be on the field representing not just this group of people, which is coaches, players, management, etc., but also your country and your family. So it does like that group was really special. And I think that that's probably the core of a lot of World Cup winning teams. Yeah. Um, everyone goes about it differently, but yeah, you, you just you get to those moments, and there's just no way you're gonna get beaten. And it's, and that's not arrogance. It's yeah. just it's just this incredible self belief you have across everyone in your squad. You know, for 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 that 2019 team that I was part of, I think something that you know that kind of separated us maybe from teams that I was previously previously part of. Um, and I played in three World Cups, uh, and I only won the third one. And I think it was probably the the buy in into the common goal that we had as a as a as a squad. And I think that, you know, the common goal was clear, you know, and I think at the time, you know, there was a whole lot of stuff going on back back in South Africa, you know, facing a lot of challenges, the economy not doing so well, you know, there's, you know, a uh, huge increase in gender-based violence and, you know, you know, certain aspects of life that were just, you know, horrific back home. And um, so, you know, we kind of wanted to, to go on a journey of, you know, giving people hope, you know, and inspiring people. And Rossi was actually adamant, like, at the beginning of the tournament that we're not going to talk about it because, you know, yes, we want to do it, but we're not going to talk about it. We're going to have to start understand what is, you know, what is this, um, you know, what is this, what does this goal mean? And, you know, and how much of a, a burden, you know, that we're carrying and what we're trying to do, what we're trying to achieve. So we don't want to start talking about it necessarily um, if we're not playing well, you know, until every person understands that they've got a privilege, you know, um, and, you know, they've got a privilege to play um, the game of rugby and follow their dream, you know, as opposed to other people that are struggling to put food on the table and, you know, just going through the journey of life, facing so much hardships. So it was like, you know, you got to understand your role, you know, on the field of play and you execute and only until then, that's when you can start talking about hope. So every guy in that team, you know, started to focus more on their craft and really wanting to be the best vision of themselves. You know, if we did a play, you know, it's like, you know, everybody knowing their detail to the T and executing. And then only, you know, when we got to probably the sem- semi-final, that's when we started, actually. We knew that it was there all along. And then in the semi-final, mm-hmm. then we thought we actually deserved to speak about it because, you know, we were playing, you know, um, like people that were trying to inspire an, an entire nation. So I think for us, that was like a key thing, you know, and every individual, every player, you know, brought brought in their part. And um, in the end, we were able to, to kind of achieve the impossible um, 
So I think for me, that was probably the significant thing about winning that World Cup. What was the celebration like? Oh, crazy. <laughs> uh, I think this was uh, this cup, or a uh, cup, right? Yeah, it's a cup, man. It's a cup. Bell. You can call it Bell. Bill, yeah, okay. yeah, Bill had so much um, uh, alcohol in him. Uh, I don't know if it's probably <laughs> they've all, you know, cleaned it up because I think Hundred Paula, Damien, the Islander, you know, they were, all had a goal, but it was, it was amazing to, you know, get on the streets of South Africa and have millions of people you know, celebrating, you know, um, people of different races, different backgrounds, just coming together and, uh, you know, looking past that and just celebrating how much this win meant to them. So, you know, and obviously Sia being, you know, the face of the team, being the captain, I think was a massive, massive, um, you know, moment. And I think, uh, yeah, you know, something that will never be forgotten in history, maybe, there's probably going to be an Invictus too, <laughs> based in 2019. Yeah. You never know. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Yeah, it meant so much to the whole of South Africa. What does this mean to you? This, oh man, this is like my, you know, my blood, sweat, tears, hard work, all carved in gold. You know, uh, my my, you know, my my disappointments. You know, the many challenges that I faced, and you know, you know, the mornings that I had to wake up and, you know, and train super hard and, you know, and dig deep, you know, um, and doing all that unseen work, you know, it's all everything, all that stuff, you know, just kind of carved in gold, you know. So does does 99 feel like it was that many years <laughs> yeah, ago? Yeah, it doesn't actually. It's funny. We think it does funny, you know, yeah, yeah, Beast talking about it. It's just, yeah, a lot of the same, same adjectives, same feelings. Um, Firstly, it's a sense of relief when you win it. Like you actually, like you can't believe it. You've, you've, sat, you've had that as a goal, and then when you achieve it, it's like, well, we've actually done it. Then, then it sinks in. You get emotional, and so you should. And then you have a great time together, and you celebrate those moments. So, that brings a lot of joy. Um, but yeah, to me, it's definitely hard work. Um, it's perseverance. Yeah, and yeah, I think the game of rugby brings a lot of joy, and it brings people together. And I think sport has an amazing ability to do that. And you can almost take yourself back to where you were at a sporting moment or something. Like we like our music, something. It's something it resonates with you in a certain way and it certainly does that. Like it takes me back to that, that, those moments, which is great. And I think uh, that that is the beauty of the Rugby World Cup. And long may it continue, but more importantly, I can't wait to see who has the ability to art answer that question in years to, come, years to come after Rugby World Cup 2023. Do you know what's nice, Cathy, is that both of you answer that question just like locked Looking, yeah, in. I know it's it. And you can just see your eyes just light up. <laughs> well, it's quite a unique club, isn't it? Oh, There's not many names on. No, of course, on, on but you're spot on with music. It can transport you back to a place mm. and get you to feel how you were feeling in that moment. And whilst you're answering a question about this, something, that is a life's work into this cup. It's incredible. Yeah. And so you're almost looking back on your rugby career <laughs> in gold. Yeah. It's nice to see the joy. It's, yeah. it's really nice. Oh, Thank you. What an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. I'm going to let the lads enjoy a cold asai in the Parisian sun now. With a beautiful backdrop uh, behind us, uh, we'll be back for loads more of this during the World Cup. It all kicks off in September, of course. So make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you very much. Cheers, lads. Cheers. Cheers.